Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Well, hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Intimate Animation. With myself, Ben Mitchell, and Laura Beth Cowley. Laura, hello. Hello. We're back again after another break. We take breaks quite regularly. We're busy people. We are. Well, you've been very busy. You've been in the final stretch of um, quite big milestone. I'm the opposite. I'm very not busy at the moment, so... But but recently not busy. Like yeah, you've, yeah. You're just coming off the end of busy in a I sort of like major I'm way. On, like, if there's, like, a slightly curved hill... I'm just on the other end of the like high point where I've just like where I had the hand in and then like two minutes later I'm like, okay, I can start like descending back into not being stressed. And it's a wonderful feeling. Very anticlimactic. Yeah. It it feels good now, but it didn't feel good for like at least two weeks after. Well it's a good thing we have podcasts to fill our mm. time to occupy us. So we're back. Got some stuff to talk about again. We're actually sort of back in the land of um well, going out and, and doing animation-y things with people, not doing it through like a series of Zoom windows. As um, podcast listeners will have gleaned, we were at the British Animation Awards. I was not mentally or emotionally prepared for seeing so many people. Well, I don't think... I got the impression that you, you didn't think it was... I think you thought it was more of an intimate affair. Yeah, I mean, I'm not used to there being that many animators in one place. I didn't even know we had that many animators in the country. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see what the signal events were like. Because it was mm. like, who's left? They're all here. <laughs> and more people just kept appearing. I was like, why are you here? Like, this is so far away from where you live. <laughs> I haven't left my own duvet in, like, months. Like, this was a this was a big skip and a hop for me. It was an odd kind of um, ambivalent thing of... Because it was really nice to see mm. certain people. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> Well, a lot of people I didn't know. Well, that's sort of the thing about these types of events. I think that under normal circumstances that you'd feel a bit more kind of gung-ho about, you know, making a lot more new connections. And I'm quite glad that I sort of, at least at the sort of very end before we kind of Irish goodbyed out of there, actually kind of, you know, touching base with some people that uh, I want to actually have on the site soon. And uh, there will be some interviews going up soon, which uh, I'm quite excited to bring you. But uh, and of course we had the um, interviews that Steve did in the uh, British Animation Awards special earlier in the week. But the thing I think that was kind of working against that was this sort of lingering sense that you and I kind of definitely shared of right. We're not kind of out of the woods yet, and yeah. this isn't the most socially distant. I mean, the days of social distancing are gone. It's not the law anymore, or it's not even advice anymore. And I think a lot of people there were pretty happy to kind of embrace the, the, the return to normalcy. I think if I didn't have things to do, get on with, and my life wasn't so like sporadic, I would maybe be a little bit more relaxed about COVID things. But because I have... Well, like, knowing also that we're going to see people yeah, in the days after. Because we were coming, because we're currently at my parents' house. And we were traveling straight back down. You don't want to bring animated germs back. I don't want to bring London germs to a tiny island because it could wipe out the population here (laughs) in a minute. And they've already had, you know, their share of... um, Yeah, um... it's ripped through the prisons. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't want to do that. And also with teaching and stuff and like covering for someone who has COVID, I didn't want to then be like, I have also now got COVID. (laughs) Is that you made it sound so good. But it was a good result, I think, at the British Animation Awards. There were a couple of, like, surprise awards, like, things that I was like, oh, okay, well, good for them. I think that generally the heavy hitters were pretty easy to predict, like, Affairs of the Art doing as well as it did. Um, I'm really glad that won the short award. I, I feel like it would have been... There were other really good films in that category as well, which would have been, in another year, easy wins. But I feel like it w- there would have been uproar <laughs> if Joanna's film hadn't won. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. I have talked to people who have had, you know, mixed feelings about Affairs of the Art, and I think that no one, has, no one, of course, has said anything bad about it artistically or whatever. Mm-mm. But there is, I suppose, an element of, 
well, of course it's, you know, a film that we've all been waiting for a long time. Of course it is technically brilliant. But I think that, you know, it is important to give the films it's up against their fair due Mm. and their fair consideration. And, you know, there have definitely been some events that haven't just automatically been like oh okay affairs of the art is the is the no no i don't think that is the case at all but i wouldn't want to have a film going around festival things if joanna quinn had a film out at the moment yeah well i i just not because i think anyone will just automatically give it but joanna's work is just so unique still like even after all these years of doing pretty much the same thing yeah it's just so rare to see a 2d animation of that quality that's actually hand rendered. Absolutely. So just on skill level alone. Yeah. So that was encouraging to see, and you know, I'm sure very gratifying for Joanna, who had just come back from like hobnobbing <laughs> with like Steven Spielberg yeah. and uh, Javier Bardem, and yeah, I was glad that they were there. It was nice to see them. Saw you know very fleetingly, but what was very sort of encouraging was seeing people win who were previous guests of Intimate Animation, a Squiggly Animation podcast. That was quite nice to see. Uh, and also see people in person, because I don't think any of them are people I'd actually no. been able to see at that point. Because normally we see people at Encounters or Manchester or... Yeah, or Annecy or, you know... Oh yeah, or Annecy. But um, we haven't been to Annecy in a really long time. Yeah, I think had there been an opportunity to see people, that was just kind of squashed with everything basically shifting to one line. But yeah, Renee Zahn, who was uh, in this season of Intimate Animation a few episodes ago, who did the film Soft Animals, uh, she won for her other NFTS film called Oh Black Hole. Another one that won, I think for social good, which I quite like as a term, uh, was Typically. And that was by Anna Ginsberg and Caitlin McCarthy, who have both been on Intimate Animation. And Anna Ginsberg was one of like the first ever guests. I think that was the film that got the biggest response from the audience when it played and it won. Oh, yeah. Like people were like, yeah. <laughs> no, people were, were all for it. They all really like that one. What I, I do find that really kind of encouraging, though, the sort of audience reaction to a film like Typically, because... There is a slight concern, and you do see it online as well when stuff like that goes up, of, like, people do find, you know, periods and that sort of subject matter challenging, bafflingly still now, this sort of day and age. And I do sort of wonder if there's a kind of... I mean, you've had, not in a kind of major, like, negative way, but there's been a bit of bafflement kind of directed toward your film. I think there's been some preemptive stuff, like people being like, oh, did this cause a problem? I'm like, no. They really shouldn't. It's 2022. It's fine. Yeah. There was that one person that, like, left a comment on the film that was just like, ugh, can we stop with the films to do with, like, female body parts equal power? I was like, okay. (laughs) I I, I mean, Uh, that person is being strapped down with their eyelids taped open like a clockwork orange and, like, being forced to watch. I was like, I just really struggled to think of lots of films that had that. I, it definitely is someone telling you about their hang-ups and where they are. Yeah, kind of I, I, it was a very short comment, so I wasn't quite sure whether the issue was that it was like women are only women if they have vaginas, or if it was they just don't like women. Or, but it was weird because it was kind of like a like a shit sandwich compliment of like, I really liked your film, but can we stop doing this? I was like, well, that's kind of the whole film, so I'm not sure which bit of it you don't... Do you like it or not? But like you, I kind of like, I the meaner the comments, the happier I get. <laughs> That's sort of, I think, a, a good feeling of accomplishment if you sort of ruffled feathers. <laughs> stupid woman! Stupid <laughs> bleeding woman! <laughs> the one thing that the bars did do as well for me was it made me really excited for Cardiff. Yeah. Because Cardiff is like the best. I mean, they've just been remained very active. They're just—it's just such a nice festival. It's very much my pace. I think is the thing is that everything—it's all in one place. There aren't—they're not like all over the place. They have a really nice venue. They yeah. have a lot of nice screenings. Open plan. Yeah, they have a lot of screenings and they have a lot of like additional things, and they're all really fun. And they're very—it's a very youth-centric festival. Yeah, which I like. Yeah. And uh, certain someone has a film in. And they they put my films in, which I also like. (laughs) And uh, we will actually both be there in a uh, Cardiff Animation Festival filmmaker Q&A. Yeah. It will be the first time I've seen my new film with a crowd, with an actual audience. I hope it does as well as the last 
I went to Cardiff and saw my film where it was like me, one guy asleep, and those two kids that started crying. Well, that's you know again, that's if you can my... make a child cry. Yeah, I don't. I think my new film well too spent. short for that. <laughs> I think that'll just be. It will just be one of those things that traumatizes them, and they'll talk about in therapy later. Well, your uh, the category the film is in looks really interesting and yes. fun, and so it, you know. I'm very appreciative of being put in the the kind of horror esque late lounge. Is it like type Midnight thing. Madness or something so, like that? It's like. After Dark. Oh, After Dark, yeah. Uh, short seven. Uh, and yeah, we'll be doing the Filmmaker Branch. So, you know, if you're at Chapter over the weekend, this goes from April 7th to the 10th, the uh, physical edition, swing by, grab a coffee and a croissant, and um, uh, we'll be talking to the filmmakers. I suppose I should do the one where we're interviewing you. Oh, wait, am I in this? Oh, no. There. Second one. <laughs> I couldn't see it. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait. Second one. You're, you're, yeah, this is the one you made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So that'll be fun. And the um, the online festival goes through to the 24th. Fun times. Ahoy. I definitely sympathize with not having been able to see a film with an audience. Like, I just never got to see my latest film. Did you not? Like, no, ever? just, well, there was that, like, little encounter screening, which was, like, I mean, 20 was, people. Yeah, that was really the only time I got to see um, The Gift as well. Mm. And that wasn't the same, because it's all filmmakers. So we were like, oh, wonderful job. Kalukale. Uh, <laughs> I did get a nice email from a chap uh, who had said he'd seen it in Manchester and thought it was funny um, and that it got a good reaction. That was very kind of him to pass that along. But uh, yeah, I've not actually seen it in person. So everyone might have been lying. <laughs> this was actually a love themed screening that the Manchester Animation Festival put on. They've started a series of like rolling meetups, I guess. Are they like thematic around special occasions? Like, will they do an Easter one, which is all about Jesus and eggs? Very possibly. If not, I think you should pitch that to Jesus them. Jesus and eggs. The Jesus think, and eggs screening. I don't think I know any. I know a few egg animations. I'm not sure if I know many about Jesus. Yeah, well, I know they did a screening event for the bars. as It was sort of tied in with their signal event. They did one in uh, Salford with uh, Salford Uni. And that's called Math Presents. So if you're up uh, north, check out the Math website for info on those. Because I think... Uh, if they're anything like Cardiff Animation Nights and that sort of thing, it's a good excuse to, you know, actually see some good films and see some good people. But yeah, this was like a love-themed animation screening that uh, included Speed and um, quite a few films I haven't actually seen. Yeah. Oh, In the Air is Christopher Grey was one, oh. which uh, it's an old chestnut. Was one of, very good film. I think you have a, an interview with Felix for that back when it came out, like, God, nearly 10 years ago now. Yeah. That's an old um, film as well. Uh, Coda, yeah, Alan Holiday. That's an amazing film. Oh, and uh, Blind Date. The oh, Ar- my Ardmus God. By Nigel Davies. Joe worked on that one, if Dusty. I recall. <laughs> it's a great film as well, though. Yeah. And Ufez film. Uh, Leaf Boat, which we've talked about a few times. Um, I don't know this one. Oh, Symbiosis Carnal is one that's been on my radar. I've not actually... Um, I don't know if we've actually brought it up on here before, no. but it's um, it looks pretty. It did the rounds, you know. It was um, it was a well received film. Well, this is an event that already happened, so you can't go see it. <laughs> but you, <laughs> but you can look up the films. Look up the films and um, check them out. On that note, actually, something that I did want to bring up on the subject of looking up films online is a new YouTube channel called Bang Bang from uh, Miu Distribution. Now, Miu Distribution, I think if you're kind of, you know, festival savvy and you're short film savvy, will be a familiar term. They've really kind of gotten their mitts on some of the real belters of new short films. And it's a great sort of initiative. Like, they have a production. It's sort of an, uh, it's sort of branched out from Miu Productions, which, you know, they create their own content and films and stuff like that. And they distribute all of Miu Productions films, but they also distribute films from independent directors and really high-end student films. And a lot of films that we've covered on Squiggly and on intimate animation, stuff like Just a Guy, fairly It's a good recent. place to look, especially if you're like studying animation to see like what makes a good short film. Because they're not it it's good to see something that's not uh thematic. Like other than it being animation, they yeah. kind of take anything genre. Yeah, this, and, and they're not like, I think, you know, they, they don't really sort of limit to a specific style, but they, I think there is a certain kind of like... There's a quality. Yeah, it's more of a kind of vibe you get yeah. from the films. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it's the curational prerogative, I guess, mm. of um, uh, the people who run the show. 
anyway, they've kind of channeled that impulse into uh, a new YouTube channel, which um, I'm just sort of going to read from the uh, the press piece we put up. Uh, I love animated short films, but I don't know where to watch them. Who hasn't heard this sentence before? Based on this observation, Miu Distribution has decided to create Bang Bang, a new YouTube channel 100% dedicated to independent animated short films. Uh, on Bang Bang, the public will discover multi-award winning films, but also more confidential and cutting edge films, which deal, for instance, with LGBTQIA plus themes or the horror genre. What a great thing to have done. Because I know, like, obviously there's loads of channels and stuff on Vimeo and YouTube in general. And it's if you know how to do research and you know how to search things and you're reasonably a fay with things on Google and search engines, then it isn't that hard to find things. But I always forget that a lot of people are not good at that. Or even know that there's such a kind of landscape out there yeah. for children. Like, I'm occasionally will pop my head into, like, you know, animation-themed Reddit forums or mm. online forums. And it's interesting how people who are really fans of animation will be surprised at, you know. I find there's often this kind of disconnect between, like, people who, like, really like YouTube and, like, like lots of stuff that happens to be on YouTube. And they're like, oh, my God, have you seen this film that's on YouTube? It's like, what, this film that won, like, multiple awards and the Crystal one year? Yeah, I've seen that film. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think everyone's <laughs> seen that film. But they, they, they feel like they've just uncovered this rare gem from the depths of YouTube. Yeah. Um, and also you get a lot of people that want to be, like, YouTubers or they want to be YouTube animators. They want to be, like, has-been hotel people. But they don't know anything about the landscape outside of that. Yeah, they'll, they'll sort of come up with sort of, like, questions. Like, okay, I want to make a pilot or I want to make a show. We get this at Squiggly a lot. It's like, okay, who do I... Can you put me in touch with someone who can make my pilot idea for me? Yeah, no. And it's like, well, I can... And I have a kind of stock, like, reply, which includes really, really helpful resources about what uh, institutions to approach and what uh, d- forums are available and what <laughs> what rolling deadlines there are for, mm. like, pitch applications and things like that. And um, that's never really received... Well, it sometimes is received well, but, but for the people who it. just want someone to make their cartoon yeah. idea... I know, I'm probably replying to 10-year-olds most yeah, of the time. <laughs> but um, um, something like My U is really good as well for... Especially, like when you're teaching or if you're going in and sort of just guest lecturing and stuff and you're trying to explain to people like where to look because I think people especially people new to the animation world they get really worried about copying stuff either they worry about it not at all and they get themselves into trouble or they worry about it too much and they worry like if they watch too many short films or something that they won't have any ideas or they realize their ideas already been done or whatever it's like well, that's good because when you distribute it to the world, people will know if yeah. that's the case. So it's better to look at these things and not repeat or look at these things and think of something better. Yeah, There's no negative to watching more short films. And having something like this will be really helpful to just, especially when like when I've been doing essay modules and stuff and they're like, where do I look for films? I'm like, I don't know. This is partly the part of the project. You have to go look. But it would be a good thing to be able to direct them to. Yeah. In the spirit of that, then, we should probably sort of have a look at what they've got up. They've already got, like, quite a lot of stuff up. They sort of officially kind of launched, launched in February, but they've been putting stuff up for a while. So there's quite a good archive already of films to check out. Certainly, like, a couple of film festivals worth. So if you're sort of, you know, feeling the itch to check out some short films. Yeah. I like egg. Uh, Martinez. Yay, ready for Easter. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> Easter screaming egg. I think we've talked about Martina Scarapelli on the podcast before. Oh, yeah, before. yeah, we've talked about um, this film a lot. Quite a few films, and the other films that have been on Intimate Animation, uh, Symbiosis by Nadia Andrusev, and Betty by Will Anderson, who was a uh, guest a couple of episodes ago. And that's, you know, just a really lovely, sweet film. Fairly recently, one that went up is called At the Other End of the Table by Lisa Raymond. And that was an interesting little duologue, I guess, between a couple who are straining to communicate. It was interesting because, like, you, you explained it to me as, as being like, it's like they're having a Zoom call, but in reality, and it's like them losing co- connection with each other. And I guess that's well, that was sort of my read of it. It's it felt like, like a the... symbolism. The use of like sim- Zoom languages or symbolic of like just the breakdown of a relationship in general. Yeah, it's like the contemporary 
what is a contemporary visual for communication breakdown. It's it's the Zoom window. It was very clever and very interesting. I can completely see why that worked as a film. But if you sort of think about it too hard, too literally, then it kind of, I found it a bit confusing. But I I, get get (laughs) what it was doing and it looks nice. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Uh, in that respect, because um, if you try to say like, what does this repre- like? What what is her sitting at the other side of the table meaning? I felt some of the things that were visually quite fun to look at. I didn't necessarily quite grasp the um, the symbolism of. But some of you out there might have more of a cinematically evolved brain than I. Yeah, it might have just been abstract and just done for visual yeah. symmetry or um, intrigue. Yeah. One that's worth a mention, it's a little kind of on the periphery of our remit, but I just like the way it looks. It's called Carousel by Yasmin Elson. And that has this kind of lovely little sort of stop motion. Uh, it's mostly 2D film. It's mixed media with like these stop motion elements of it. It's a kind of love story within the film. But it's just a sort of pretty kind of needle felted bit of business that happens in that film. Another film is by Inari Sirola called Crazy, and uh, she actually had another film called Eating in the Dark that was up for a British Animation Award. And she has a really kind of, you know, uh, vibrant colour palette inclination. Um, And a very unique way of animating. Yeah. Similar to, um, oh, what's her name? We mentioned earlier, the girl that won the the award, actually, for this category. Oh, Renee Zahn. Yeah, not as in like their styles are similar in any way, but like that they both have a very unique take on animation performance. Yeah, there's a certain kind of high energy. It's like very early Rick and Morty, but cleaner. Yeah, I see what you mean. There's also a little bit of like bit Laura Jane Hodkin in there yeah, as well. Very, the, very... The frenetic energy yes, to it. Yes, that's the word. Yeah, anyway, she, um, I believe this other film is an RCA film. I think they both are. The film that's on the Miu channel is called Crazy. And like Eating in the Dark, it's very sort of libidinous and kind of suggestive in the visuals while being kind of occasionally explicit, but mostly just kind of like bulbous and, yeah, swelt. And, um, it's described on the, um, YouTube post as a short film about stereotypes towards women. And perhaps because I'm not a woman, I didn't really recognize the stereotypes in those. It seemed to be more kind of personal to me. But. It seemed to be one stereotype, the idea that, like, if a woman acts sort of ever so slightly different, she's crazy. Gotcha. I right, think it's yeah. that, maybe, that's the point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a woman who kind of... Like, um... women, they'd be crazy. <laughs> I think it's actually a line in it. Yeah, it's a woman who becomes sort of enchanted by, like, a gold chain that a man is wearing, and then basically her world collapses. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's worth checking out. It's just visually very kind of like, oh my, I'm not sure what's going on here. And yeah, among the other films, one worth flagging as well, as far as our podcast's um, leanings go, would be Bacchus by uh, Ricky Alma Crookshave Planeta. Right on. And this is a film, it's kind of a mixed media. I think it's mixed media. It Have felt to me like CG with a 2D character and 2D elements. The 2D character might have been CG as well with cell shading, but it felt like 2D movement to mm, me. Yeah, no, same. But it's a woman who uh, is a bit sort of, I guess, bored with the mundanity and the routine nature of her existence, which is a fairly common setup in, in short films. The opening shot really reminds me of the opening shot in your film, of the close-up <laughs> of the head waking up in bed. Yeah. Like, the I head mean, movements are weirdly the same as well. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not... It's not groundbreaking <laughs> intro to film. No, it just reminded me because lots of things remind me of you. You remember there was that one film that we were like, it's really weird how there were like two, there were two or three shots in it that were like almost framed for frame the same from both of our films from both the yeah gift the same and, kind of window. There was it was like her in a bath from above, and it was like oh, yeah, laid yeah, out yeah. exactly the same as my bathroom, and then your it was the her being on a date. And it even oh, it, and that, bit, like, that was speed. really yeah. yeah, and it was really weird because it even had like the same window and like the same pictures. I like the idea that we're just like, oh, they must just be fans of our work. Well, no, it just felt like we're it, narcissists. <laughs> it was just it was just eerily similar. Yeah, stuff that that happens sometimes. I remember there was um one really kind of haunting moment was um I was playing Alice Madness Returns, which was a game from about ten years ago. 
there's a sequence in that where there are these like dead frozen animals like they're in the background but they're kind of like decomposing it's just like set dressing and one of these animals is a dead duck that looks exactly like a cg rendering of my 2d animated dead duck in my student film it's funny isn't it yeah and I don't believe for an instant that the person who worked in the art department and created that character... Saw your duck. No. And there's a little thing, and there's an art book that I actually looked at once, just to sort of see if there was any mention of this. And you could tell it was independently developed from how it's presented in the book. But in the moment, it was like, oh, that's weird. That's like, well, that's like my character. It's like my OC, but done well. <laughs> Not with like weird kind of like my own bizarre like cartoonish version of duck anatomy where like <laughs> I have you... fingers now for reasons. Yeah. Well I needed it to hold things, so I just <laughs> made like his wing bones like like really articulated. long articulated fingers. It's a cartoon. It's fine. So there you go, that's Bang Bang on YouTube. I think it's definitely worth as many people checking these out as possible because it's great work all around, you know? And um, I think that the work that Mew does is really, really good. I think more people need to know. Of course, another award ceremony that is impending, uh, the Oscars. It's not a ceremony that we really talk about much on this podcast, but as it happens, one of the nominees happens to be an animated film about love. And that's sort of what we do on here, so... I thought it was rather fitting to uh, talk to the fellow who made this film. It's called The Windshield Wiper. It's a film that essentially poses the question, what is love? And it's by Alberto Miego, who uh, is a pretty uh, accomplished animator. He's done work for Gorillaz, the uh, films like Tron Uprising. I would say, and this isn't something I, I don't think I've ever said about anyone before, his website is really worth a read. Oh, well, yeah, he's put up some really interesting stories, I guess, yeah. about his, his various very, jobs and things. He's very candid, and I like the way he writes, because it's exactly how he speaks. Yeah. Yeah, it's just an interesting website. And he's just, his artwork is so incredible. Yeah. It's a real, like, he's so um, open. No, open about his, like, process, so you can really yeah. see a lot. Candid. Of, candid, that's the word. He's Yeah, his website's really worth a look at yeah. and read and... Yeah, it's just odd. One of the things, the sort of earlier projects that I know we've talked about on the other podcasts is uh, the, the Beatles rock band animation, which was a, a big sort of hit at the time. Like even people who didn't know the game, like just the video as a kind of marketing thing was very popular, I remember. And yeah, like you say, he talked very candidly on his website about working on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I think ultimately the final product his work isn't really sort of reflective of that, but he kind of goes into detail there. It's one of those sort of industry, I guess, things where people are brought in in a certain capacity and then they come off the project and then the project carries on without them. But I guess he had gotten kind of salty about it. And so he does a bit of like, I don't know, further explanation on the site. But Yeah, I think he does have a credit in the film. Yeah. It's not the credit he... Maybe I, would have had, should have had, I don't know. I think he anticipated a, a bigger role in the final film, but he was sort of crucial, I think, to the visual development. Um, you know, they just, I guess, ended up having different ideas or changed their mind along the way. It's a really good read. It's interesting. Probably the thing that got a lot of people's attention, most of all in recent years, would have been an episode of Love, Death and Robots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah called The Witness, which we've talked about, I think, Love, Death, and Robots on this. I think we've talked about that specific episode on this. We definitely have uh, on the other podcast. And, you know, what I feel was Love, Death, and Robots' strength, and it's something that is carried through with the second season, is, you know, it is a good style showcase. You know, yeah. not all of the styles are necessarily for me. I think that of the CG offerings... Alberto's offering was sort of the most visually interesting. I remember it being the one that definitely got talked about probably one of the most out of all of them. Yeah, it definitely... In terms of being, like, really slick and interesting and... It felt like it was the the episode that really represented the show in a lot of respects. And, um, you know, it won a bunch of Emmys and I think it uh, won an Annie Award. And, you know, the world definitely embraced it. Uh, his new film is called The Windshield Wiper, and I would say in in pretty much every respect, it's a better film. I think it does kind of take the visual approach that he uses and sort of pushes it, you know, a little bit further. But as far as story goes, while The Witness was, I think, for a lot of people, a, a really, you know, engaging story, 
just me personally, subjectively, wasn't my cup of tea as isn't, much as this film. Isn't it the case with Love, Different Robots, though, that he won't have written the story? No, he did. He came up with the story. Oh, really? For I it. thought that was the thing with Love, Death and Robots, that they were all written by the, the main guy. I had thought that... We, we talk about it a bit in the interview. Oh, okay. But yeah, he did actually um, come up with the story. There are elements of this film, which is kind of an assortment of vignettes, and some of them are quite personal and autobiographical, and probably some others are sort of more observational. They're just little looks at people's lives in terms of reflections on love, things that are happening to them, musings, memories. You know, there's a quite, you know, sad through line, which is a guy, a homeless man who is sort of mourning, I guess, you know, the life he used to have um, through a conversation he's having through like a department store window. There's a sort of fonder side of love represented. There's the kind of young love, new sort of, you know, honeymoon period love. I can Um, definitely see this winning. I would say of, of, you know, the ones that... It's always hard with the Oscars because it's whether they're going to go, like, very, like, classic what they think animation is, like something very, like, kid-friendly and stuff, in which case probably Robin Robin. Hmm. Or they're going to go, like, no, art, animation is a serious business and it's art, and then they'll go, like, the other way. Yeah. But it's really, it yeah. The Oscars is always so, like, up in the air as to what they're going to do and who's on the panel and... I could definitely see Bestia kind of intimidating people. I and, think and Bestia will confuse non-animation people more so than it would confuse animation people. Because it is quite, it's a bit marmite I think. Well, not marmite Like, I don't think you'll love it or hate it. I think it is just, it's very, it's very different. I think with the windshield wiper, there's a more of a universal accessibility. Yeah. Everyone will, I think, relate to something. at least something in this, if and not also a few things. That whole thing now, like kind of very stylized CG and stuff, is becoming a little bit more mainstream. Yes, yeah. And I think people, but it's partly thanks to him. But what's funny about it, I think it's mainstream enough, but for the people who, unfortunately, to be honest, tend to be the Oscar people who get to pick the animation people, they're like, this is so innovative. I've never seen this before. It's like, it's been around for like at least five, 10 years now. Yeah. But they're like, cutting edge. You know? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's nice that there are films that are, are helping to bring that to these people who otherwise would have kind of blinders to it or just, you know, they they will see what they see when they turn on their TVs or scroll through Netflix and it won't necessarily be presented to them otherwise. Is there, what else, so if it's BC, this, Fez the Art and Robin, is there another or those? Box Ballet. Box Ballet and that's that it. It's five, yeah. That's really interesting because this is probably the first year, the one year I think I'm like, oh, I actually don't know who they're going to go for because there isn't like a Simpsons short (laughs) or a Disney short. Yeah. And I'd actually be quite happy. I'd be surprised with a couple of them if they won, but I'd actually genuinely be happy if any of them won. I could see this definitely winning. Yeah. Well, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, But yeah, in the meantime, shall we hear from Alberto Miego? Yes, please. Firstly, congratulations on the nomination. That's incredible. And um, I'm sure it's a redundancy, but it must be quite exciting. It is obviously extremely exciting. Um, I mean, mostly even for... For the art of animation, my 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 biggest uh, the main reason why I'm super happy, more than in a personal level, is because, you know, at least this in this category that we are nominated, I feel that, you know, the the films they are, all of them they are definitely not necessarily mainstream or um, commercial, um, and they are like r- truly independent and. And all of them, or at least most of them, they are uh, sort of like new narratives. And for for the art of animation, I think this is very amazing that the Academy is considering such a films rather than something so mainstream. So for me, that's right now my my biggest um, the biggest the, the the main reason why I'm like really really excited and happy about this. No, it's um, it's it's a really uh, it's an incredible crop, and it's. I think been quite refreshing to sort of see the, you know, the more kind of independent end of the spectrum, you know, represented quite well. So yeah, it's always quite reassuring there. Yeah. So, I mean, prior to this project, I mean, you've worked on some pretty high profile stuff to go back a bit further. Could you sort of tell me a bit about your artistic background, I guess, and when and how animation came to you as like the direction you wanted to go in? Yes. From very early age, 
and maybe when I was around four or five, I remember I didn't know even how to read. My father used to, um, this, this comic book was, was around, was at home, uh, a comic book for Tintin. Um, and then um, he was reading basically and pointing with the finger uh, through the panels. And I remember loving it. And, and I was in love with the world, but I was in more, more, more than that, I was in love with the art itself. And I, and I wanted to do my comic books. And I had, from very early on, I had comic books that they were like endless pages with no final ending. Like I was just basically improvising and, and drawing panels. And that leads into animation, me watching films and, and seeing this art. Um, and I, and I, that's what I wanted to do from, from very early age, always from a very narrative point of view. Um, so in a way, I never practice uh, arts uh, for the sake of just practicing, like let's draw heads or let's draw hands today. Um, I was actually practicing on the spot because I was obligated to draw a hand from different positions because I was obligated to all of a sudden draw a car that in the next panel needs to go a little bit further. So that was very much my introduction into, into comics and into animation and, and then obviously into film and cinema, which is my favorite art uh, by far. Mm. Yeah, I definitely see a kind of sense of, you know, very sophisticated grasp of anatomy that comes up quite a lot in your work. And it really feels very naturalistic and very immersive. And um, it does make a case, I think, in this film and also your previous work for people to investigate the sort of value, I think, of that, of kind of learning as you go and really kind of observing and taking in the world. Because I do think that absolutely has translated into the atmosphere you get from the films. And uh, I guess at a certain point, then you kind of... Can you tell me a bit about Pinkman.tv as a sort of term? Is that a term for yourself or a collective or is it a studio you set up? Yeah, it's my studio. Um, Pinkman TV was some sort of like a project that I initiated in order to... First of all, try to own my pro my own IPs, um, but also in order to deliver the projects the way that I wanted to be delivered. Um, as an art director, before being a director, I was working as an art director for a while, including in the Beatles rock band. Um, and I always had a little bit of like a, mm, I wish this final look is a little bit closer to my art direction. You know, there is always an interpretation. Uh, but when, so I realized that in order to do that, I needed to create my own studio in order to, to make the right decisions, in order to ruin my life <laughs> as well. Uh, because, especially because I want the art to look very specific. I go over and, and go over and, you know, it's like, uh, I, I, obviously we have a, a deadline and, and a delivery to do, uh, but I don't stop until I have the look that I want against my own benefit. But this is what I do. I love what I'm doing and I don't want to have compromises, which is, well, is something that I need to figure how to solve. Hmm. So that's something that is still kind of a, a ongoing concern then, like that level of compromise? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what are you gonna do? I am. I have a very specific eye, uh, and I see when things are not good or not close to what I want. So I push it until I have what I want. Mm. I just deliver now a new project, which is probably the best thing so far that I did, and I'm extremely happy. It was an exhausting experience, um, but I'm really, really happy with it with the final result. And the reason is that is because I was extremely picky, extremely anal with all the detail. And, and the final result is, is pretty cool. I cannot talk about it yet, but it's coming very soon anyway. So it's going to happen in the next few months. Nice. Right, so I look forward to that. Thank you. Uh, an obvious major project that's been received very, very warmly is The Witness. And that was easily, I think, the most talked about uh, episode of that show 
when it came out. And um, yeah. so did you write that as well as directing it? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah, so correct. was the show or the people developing the show, were they actively looking for creative like artists and writers and stuff to kind of contribute to it? Or Yeah, well, in my in my case, um in my case they 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 basically gave me some ingredients that I couldn't I couldn't refuse. You know, it was just adult action, uh you can have sex, basically anything that is not mainstream or commercial, anything that is not family friendly. It was more or less the ingredients that they gave me. Um and they have a very beautiful intro that I was like wow, this is me. I, I love it. So they are, a lot of the stories, they're based on original authors, classic science fiction authors. Um, and they gave me some scripts, but I felt like doing something that, that it was a little bit more personal. And I, and I present three ideas to them and they like them and they say, okay, let's do one of them. And that was the witness, which originally the script is very much what what you see. Uh, it's, it's a very simple idea, and it's and it, it didn't re- it, it evolved a little bit during the production. But if you read the script, it's very much what you see in the screen. And is that something that you'd potentially work with that series again, or do they? Is it kind of a one and done thing? Do you think? No, no, no. Yeah, for sure, we have an ongoing relation, um, and and I and I love to to work with them. To be honest, it's the best thing that actually ever happened in my career uh, by far it's just the guys gave me super total freedom and they the type of films that they want to do is the type of films that I want to do and not only that we 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 open strong like mm. the conversations that uh, we are able to have animators right now compared to the conversations that we could had four years ago uh, in networks and with investors they are like it's a it's a massive change they're like back in before love death and robots adult animation was not even considered now is is a huge that together with obviously video games um but uh, i think that love death and robots and obviously netflix risking and going for that because this is something that we've been trying forever right heavy metal um but it was never that successful. This is the first time that it was majorly, majorly successful. Independently, obviously, that heavy metal is is a major piece of art, um, but it was not successful when when it when it came out. Um, so, it's major big news. Uh, Love Death and Robots has been probably at a historical event inside of animation. I would say. Absolutely. And so were you already working on the windshield wiper at that point? Because I gather it was made over quite a long time. Correct. Yes, Uh I was working in the windshield wiper seven years ago. This is something that has been a project that has been on and off. Obviously, when I have a gig and needed to pay bills, uh, because this is a project that was basically operating on a loss. So any time that we had a project, we needed to stop. And that was the most challenging part, obviously, to keep the film alive. But it's cool because the project has been eating and also the project has been feeding other projects. Uh, so there is obviously a huge influence for, for example, The Witness and The Windshield Wiper or Spider-Verse and The Witness or Spider-Verse and The Windshield Wiper or an Ubisoft commercial. Everything was happening at the same time and, and all the projects, they they very much were beneficial uh, for each other. Is, is there a sort of challenging element then of, of when you, these projects are interwoven in that way then and you maybe have to take a bit of time off, say, the windshield wiper to do something else? Is it then kind of tricky to get back into it or was it always sort of because it was your own project, was that easier? Well, there is always this desire and of, oh my God, I, I really want to come back to it. But you know, when I was working on The Witness, I was in love with The Witness and, mm. and I was happy to park a little bit the windshield wiper. And then you have a little bit of, a, of an anxiety, sort of like, oh, my God, I don't want to abandon that project. I don't want this project to die. So 
Yeah, there is. It is hard, obviously, to come back to a project that you might didn't touch in one year, and mm-hmm. and you might think, oh, fuck, it's it's dated now, or 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 I improved my skills. So the windshield wiper actually had a way a lot of that. Like all of a sudden, you come back after one year and a half, and then you see that your renders they were not that good, that you improve a lot, mm-hmm. and you need to re-render again and redo things again. And that was a little bit exhausting, but the final result, I'm very happy because um, it's, it, it was it was keeping um, it was in a, in the you know it was with us during all this process, and I think that it it survived very well. Yeah, no, it definitely um, it feels like it's sort of part of you know one universe and like not a scattered production at all. It does feel very consistent and. Um, yeah, the, uh, the structurally speaking, I guess I'm kind of interested in how the flow of ideas came together. Like when it's a film like this, when it's sort of an assortment of vignettes, do you kind of write that out like a sort of standard script, or is there a mind for like experimentation down the line with the editing? Yeah, um, in the case of the windshield wiper, I did not write any script because many times the script is in. Is for many times I'm saying it's for you to sell a project, right? I didn't want it. I didn't need to sell to myself. For the windshield wiper, I actually started storyboarding um, because I had some visual ideas. The, the film is very visual and the narrative is not um, linear. So I basically spent a period of actually it was on a Christmas uh, 2000, who knows, like seven years ago. And I storyboard the project very much as is. Obviously, it evolved. I was adding a few scenes here and there, but the animatic, it was, and the storyboards, they were like basically a map of what you of you of what you saw. And um, and obviously there are some uh scripts that I have to write in order to have the actors uh do act on them, and some experiments that I did recording um few friends of mine um so so we can hear all this voice voice of uh, voice of that we voice over that we have in the in the cafe place hmm. the um the subject itself then these kind of uh, different takes on love as a concept um what was it i guess that instigated that like a, a desire to make a film about love yeah um well, love is, has never been really answered. What is the what is love? And I think that love is a little bit always behind society. Society is evolving and is functioning. And then we are using love basically based on our needs, but it's always a little bit behind. Um, so love needs to adapt. Um, I said uh, to, to this uh, before uh, that um, uh, back in the time, Love was very useful for relationships. Um, I mean, to create strong families um, in order to work in the land, in order to work on on business. <clears throat> and now, love is a little bit more. You know, we are way more self-centered. We are we are more uh, based in our careers, in our um, individualism, and um, and evolving ourselves than than creating a big, strong family is not needed anymore to have, is, is actually, is even not convenient. It's extremely expensive to have now a massive family that they are probably not gonna help you on work or, or bring money to money home. Um, so the concept really, really drastically changed. And I wanted to depict what is love today? What is, what is happening with relationships Nowadays, there is a lot of online meetings. Um, there is a lot of uh, non-commitment relationships. Uh, relationships are shorter. People have don't have kids that much anymore. Um, so I wanted to to tackle that subject from a very subjective point of view, which I thought that it was the most interesting, like the vision from an outsider. So that's interesting then. So as a subjective viewer, then is it mostly an observational piece, would you say, or does it draw in any ways on like your own experiences directly? Yeah. I mean, it's, let me see, let me correct 
my phrasing here. I mean, it's subjective from the point of view of, of, of the guy in the cafe, but it's very objective because we never really get inside of what is happening. Mm. And I wanted to basically to make that feeling because I think that um, love itself is very complex and it grows organically. And even the people that they are inside the relationships, they don't really know how they got there. Um, so I thought that to, to put the camera outside of whatever is happening um, and to be very vague and very white about the possibilities, I, I basically wanted the audience to have sensations rather than understand the story. It's not important to know what's happening with these characters. Uh, that they're smoking a cigarette. It's not important to really know the story behind the um, homeless guy that thinks that he's talking with his wife. The important part is to is the, the feeling that creates on you rather than you understanding it. As a filmmaker then, when it's dealing with concepts like this, is there something, I guess, sort of beneficial or valuable in making films that deal with these themes? Like, do they help you work through personal events, I guess, or things like that? Yeah, it's very much like a personal notebook mm. that I open up and then you are reading a few pages here and there. You're not reading the whole thing. Um, so it's, it's, it is very personal. It's almost like voyeuristic um because you get inside of people's lives or people's experiences. Uh, but it's, it's so open that it might trigger you some memories. Um, that's basically what I, what I wanted the audience. Uh, everybody might have a situation like that, smoking a cigarette with a person or, or you know. And I, and I think that that was the, the main goal of the film, um, to, to share my personal experience and to open my journal a little bit and show few pages so you can actually feel that you are part of it as well. Yeah, I think what I found sort of interesting, like talking to other people about it, is that everyone will kind of sort of pick a moment that I think speaks to them, like, and it's always a different moment. And I think that that's something that's really, I guess assuming this is one of the things you set out to achieve, it feels like one of the successes of the film is it really does have a kind of universality to it. The other thing that really struck me about it was just in a technical sense or an artistic sense, you could pause this film at any point and you have a still that is composed in a way that reads almost like a painting. And that's surprisingly not very common when it comes to animation. I find that doing a lot of curation and festivals and getting press releases, stills very often don't represent their films or the animation sensibilities behind it. And so I was curious a bit about that, if, if that development, I suppose, if there was a lot of visual development that went into like making each shot kind of stand out in that way. Yes. I'm, I'm a painter myself, and, and I have... Um a vision of a painter, I suppose, or a photographer. Um, and I am, yeah, I like to, I like to, exactly what you are saying is, for me, it's successful, right? It's just like, okay, anytime you stop the frame, it can look like a painting and it's, and it's a pretty frame. Um, the process was very complex, um, but it was basically based on, how Disney was doing films back in the time, even though I'm using new technologies, um, we were very much doing a painting with a 3D character on top. Back in the time, it was a 2D character and it was Bambi. Um, so the technique is fairly similar in this case in the windshield wiper to what the old masters were doing. And the process behind in terms of 3D, it was... You know, as sophisticated as any production, um, we were in the beginning less experienced, uh, Leo and myself, and um, we very much had like a fusion uh, together and we were working, <clears throat> you know, for seven years on and off, trying to find, you know, their, that frame that you can actually stop and looks nice. And in fact, many times we were actually... Um, producing per shot rather than producing the a character that works for every single angle. Um, we were very much producing per that shot. 
so on that sense, we were, yeah, we were working for that painting. We were working for that frame in particular. Hmm. The other thing that really, I think, kind of sells the immersiveness, there's a real sense of authenticity to the sound design to the point where I wasn't sure if they were like field recordings almost um, that you'd animated to, or if you actually like constructed the sound after the fact. I, I love sound design. It's something that, I mean, all, all the process in animation, I, I, I find them fascinating, but um, sound design is cool. I, I go always around with my, with my iPhone and actually even the witness, most of the sound was done with an iPhone. Mm. Uh, obviously later we master it and then we expand it and we convert, convert it on 5.1, 7.1 or Atmos. But uh, the source is just an, a microphone that I can have in my pocket because there is always a chance to record something interesting, either birds, water, traffic, whatever. And I have tons of libraries of things that I record myself. Um, in terms of the in terms of the voices, for example, I um, the, the ones that you hear in the cafe, I did an experiment um, with my friends because I wanted to ask five or ten specific questions. I forgot now, but it was like the same questions to a group of three men and a group of three women. And I wanted to see what was the difference. Um, I invite them for dinner. I put the microphones and then I was asking them the questions and leading the conversation so I could have what it was interesting for me. Surprisingly, none of them, they answer in any similar way. The group of men and the group of women, they basically ask for such a different things when it comes to love that it was even shocking. I had a lot of material. It was like a two hours conversation, but I end up getting the ones that they really contrast um, a little bit the most. Um, and it shows the complexity of a relationship because the desires of each part is already so different from a social point of view and from a biological point of view as well. That's interesting to sort of think of condensing that then was that like, I imagine that would have been quite hard to do to sort of like pick it, pick out the bits that kind of best sort of represent those disparities. Yeah, that was tricky because there were gems on those <laughs> conversations. Uh, but you know, uh, it, it was, it was very obvious. I mean, there's a moment in the, in the, in the film where, where the two voices, they, you, you hear it from the right side and you hear it from the left side and, you know, one the, one of the the girls is saying like he's talking about mm, all of a sudden to have the call and the urgency to have a kid while while the men are talking about the alpha male is they want to have sex with all multiple females. You know, it's almost like the balance when you hear it in contrast, it feels so different and in a way so hurting almost. Right? It's like wow, it hurts how how different are kind of like these needs. Mm. And obviously I wanted to exaggerate it a little bit. It makes sense. Yeah. I think it's indicative of the kind of changing face of what adult animation is being sort of considered to be. And you touched on this before, the kind of difference between like, I guess there being a sort of uh, opportunities to create adult animation but what I'm seeing, you know, with some recent projects, including LDR and your films and some other Netflix stuff that's happening at the moment, is that people are real. There's a real sort of desire, it seems, from a commissioning standpoint, at least, to, you know, do animation for adult audiences that isn't necessarily explicit, but more in terms of the themes that they talk about and, uh, you know, how that's actually put across and using animation in a way that's kind of more beneficial than live action. And from your perspective, now that this has started to kick off and they are making, we are making more animation like this, do you feel like the, the audiences are kind of getting it, like they're receptive to it? Yeah, yeah they are getting it and they are asking for it. I mean, you, mm. we need to understand also that the, we are talking to our own generations, uh, the ones that grow up with comic books, the ones that grow up with uh, video games, and we are... You know, we are way more ready for that. Uh, animation now is considered art, while 
few years ago, we were just a bunch of nerds uh, that, uh, you know, the art world was not even caring for us. And now with NFT and the digital art consideration, you know, it's like we are major artists. Uh, back in the time, I remember as a painter, I was going to gallerists and they were seeing my resume and an artist that worked for Disney that have some Emmy awards and they were like, you need to get this out of your resume. Like, it's, it's not interesting that you work in Disney. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and, but now it changed. Now, now we are taking the, the reins and, and, and we are running the art world. And in terms of, of, um, of cinema and filmmaking, um, we are so open to see new worlds, new fantasies. Uh, and as long as it's not only uh, family friendly, films as long as it's, as they are intelligent and it's smart because the look it can be amazing right is is you can really emphasize with with um have empathy sorry with with the characters if they are very nicely you know developed yeah tries like future work then is that the kind of area you want to stay within or are there kind of other themes you want to explore in what you do next no, 100%. I would like to explore that more than anything. Like, I feel that in TV, we are already in a good path. I think that feature film is, is still lacking that. Um, we, I would like to get animation, me or whoever, but I, my, my function almost in life, I already realize, is to enjoy animation as much as possible because I love it. But um, create the opportunities that we didn't have <clears throat> before Love, Death and Robots, for example, yeah. uh, to, to expand and create projects that they are not necessarily about a hero or the hero journey or about, or about a little rat that grow up in, in a family of monkeys and, and, and she thinks that these are rat. I mean, she just thinks that it's a monkey. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to change definitely that and create more intelligent films um, for my own pleasure and also because I want people to enjoy animation in high levels. That was Alberto Miego talking with us about his career and his Oscar-nominated film, The Windshield Wiper. The Oscars will be taking place on Monday, March 28th, or probably for us, you know, Tuesday, early hours. Well, will um, we be able to watch them this year? Because aren't, isn't there that whole thing where they've sort of segregated out the animation strand that's a good point actually um my attitude has for the oscars historically has been i'm fine to just find, find out, out when i'm on the loo in the morning but like <laughs> all right well done you know but if it's if there's actually like just the animation things just the ones i care about because i think it's also documentaries also been sidelined yeah, and those are the ones I tend to like. It's a bit like the Olympics. I'm like, oh, curling. Yeah, it's it's you know, <laughs> oh, archery. I think it's why you know on the other podcast in particular, Steve is the one who sort of leads the charge on Oscars coverage because I'm you know I feel like there are other accolades that animation can win yeah. that have more legitimate value, I even though Oscars are like technically top of the heap. Out of all the like big awards that I'm probably more interested in the BAFTAs. Fair enough. At any rate, I mean Oscars or no, you know, this was a film that it's I had been thing. yeah, I'd been quite anything. interested in anyway and I'm glad that we got to talk to Alberto. So uh, congratulations to him for the film, whichever way it goes. And uh, I think with that, uh, that's a wrap on Intimate Animation Season 4, Episode 4. Yeah, I mean, ne hopefully next time we do this, there'll be, we'll have actually got to go to see some actual festivals and screenings and we won't have um, done what we've done for the last two years. It's like, does that look like that's going to be something relevant? We'll just watch those films <laughs> rather than watching all of them. Yeah, anyway, I think... Um... I do miss that slightly, like actually being engaged with a curation or process and even though i don't necessarily like every film sort of being made to watch out of like politeness and not yeah. be like i'm gonna go pee now in the middle of the <laughs> cinema and actually just having to sit and watch like two hours worth of short films because there's a lot of films that maybe in a still you're like oh that doesn't look great but then you're actually like oh no that's actually okay well when you think of it, we have watched a ton of films yeah but in pre-selection capacities and that's a very different thing because yeah. you're watching it's, it's definitely volume over substance you realize just how many people are willing to spend like a fiver to submit something that isn't even 
well, sometimes they just submit films. They're like, this isn't even a film. You've, well, the, this it's is corrupt. categorically not animation. Or well, like they've just uploaded the wrong file and it's just static and a name. And you're like, is <laughs> yeah. this the film? Is this really conceptual? Am I missing something? No, no. It's just, <laughs> oh, no, it's an error message. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's like it's going to be, it's going to change any minute now. Or the error we? message is like, are we the ones in error? Really? <laughs> we are the error message. <laughs> Until next time, we will be at the Cardiff Animation Festival in April. So, yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, if you swing by there, Do come say hello. Yeah. Come touch us. And uh, check out Laura Beth's film, Crafty Witch, in oh, the yeah. after slash dark category. And uh, I think it's just because it's black and white. Ah, maybe that's why. Well, there was like a silent movie category as well, I which I was surprised because like, it is How sort of. Why not getting this one? I made a literal. <laughs> all of my movies are silent movies. I think it's nice to be involved in in, in any way, but um... <laughs> I like to think that they were like Laura would like to be in the creepy one. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And you can check out uh, what else the program has to offer on Squiggly under the uh, festival news category, or you can just go to CardiffAnimation.com. While you're online, you know, be sure to check out squiggly.com and our Twitter is still at squiggly. Our Instagram is at squiggly animation and Facebook is facebook.com slash squiggly magazine. Like and follow or smash the subscribe, whatever the hell you do uh, to all of it because yes. yeah, <laughs> share us with the world because we're fabulous. <laughs> so until next time, from me, Ben Mitchell. And me, Laura Beth. Happy intimate animating. Goodbye.